Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. Liquidchurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. Well, the journey to Christmas has begun. Three weeks and counting. Tick tock, tick tock. And I understand some of you receive that news with joy and some with dread. Uh, For some of us, Christmas means certain things. Um, Crowded malls, how many of you have actually started your shopping? Who's been naughty? Oh, lots of you have been naughty. Okay, you're well behind the times. Um, uh, The American phenomena begins, it began last week, uh, known as uh, carbo-loading. On Thursday, around 10 a.m., someone brought a bucket of Christmas cookies to our church office. This was 10 a.m., these Christmas cookies appeared, and it was gone by two. Um, You'd think we'd never seen, you know, peanut butter balls before, but like, we like... Like, just inhaled them like crack. It was just like, woo, man, we're just like ready to go. It's like, Christmas cookies, ah! And, uh, you know, it just all starts, you know. Driving yesterday, I kind of lost count of the inflatable, you know, snowmen on the lawns. You like those? Yeah, a few of those out there. And Santa's, um, it, was, it was just like insane. It was like every other house, there was like a 12-foot Grinch, you know, and uh, blow up. And uh, there was even, we're at this one light, and we just see, my, my daughter goes, Elmo! And it's like, El- no, 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 that's, that's Santa. And I look, it goes, it is Elmo. Elmo is in a sleigh with Cookie Monster. And she's like, roll down the windows, roll down. And so we like roll down the windows. And actually had a voice recording coming out of the sleigh. It was Elmo. He goes, yeah, da, 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 happy holidays. And I'm like, how did Sesame Street horn in on Christmas? Like, you know, this like feeding and buying frenzy that marks the season for many of us begins, which is a reason for, for, for some dread. But the real reason for the season, as it were, is actually much quieter. It's much more humble, which is why we're calling this Christmas series Rediscovering the Nativity. Because although it can get overgrown and lost in the holiday madness for some of us, the real meaning of Christmas, if you, if you let it enter your heart, can be a source of tremendous joy. I mean, it is a profound occurrence. 2,000 years ago, this event that divided history, literally, we mark our calendars by it. And many of us here tonight are even banking our lives on its truth. Now, when you say rediscover something, that means you've previously been familiar with it, but it needs like some dusting off. And that's what I'd like us to do over the next few weeks. Just kind of put a new set of lenses so we can experience Christmas in a fresh way with a new perspective so that like the 25th can come and actually mean more than like frantic rapping the night before. And the way I want to approach that is kind of leveraging something that's been going on in the popular culture now. A new Hollywood movie just released, The Nativity Story. Did anyone see it this weekend? few of you? Okay, good. Good for you. Some of you are like, wait, the guy wants to call off church. He's like, go see movies. What is this? Um, we went actually Friday night, uh, Colleen and I, with our friends Darren and Stephanie. We went out, had dinner, went to see the show. Um, profound movie. I mean, you, you, now you know, I admit, whenever I hear about a Hollywood version of like a well-known biblical story, I kind of wince. <laughs> Because I'm like, either this is going to be A, like mega cheesy, like somewhere along the line, Kirk Cameron's going to show up in this thing. No. <laughs> it's going to be like one of those, you know, beard and bathrobe jobbers, you know, where they were, everyone's wearing a fake beard and bathrobe and like speaking like Elizabethan, like, ooh, where are the... Um, or it's going to be so Hollywood, it'll be over the top and unbelievable, you know, like the angels, like played by, like, Brad Pitt, greetings, you know? And, like, Mary is like Angelina Jolie, who are, you know, just like, you know, like, you know, like Minnie Me is the baby Jesus. It's like just, just one of those, like, overblown epics that plays fast and loose with the facts. But, but this was neither. It was actually quite amazing. It was tasteful. 
it was accurate, very well done. It had an incredible aesthetic, meaning the production values were very high. And quite honestly, I've never seen a film that has been more faithful and respective of the original scriptures. Uh, it's amazing. I was actually doing some reading and research that afternoon, just kind of reading through Matthew and Luke. And then to go see it later that night, like just portrayed on the big screen with such vividness. It, w- it was truly stirring. And so what I wanted to do is kind of weave together actually both the original scriptural accounts that you'll find in Matthew and the Gospel of Luke with live clips from the film. <laughs> I want to thank New Line Cinema for the pre-release of that. Thank you. <laughs> but I think it'll help you see what I have rediscovered that has excited me at least about this Christmas. That Christmas is actually about one thing. God coming near. About an extraordinary God coming down and actually entering the lives of just ordinary people. People like you and me. And that is cause actually for much joy. I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. Um, We have Bibles in the pews. Some of them are under the pews. And if you can look under there and pass them down if you would so that everybody has one. And if you're new to us, we we do our teaching out of the Bible. and, um, And you don't have to be an expert. We actually put the pages up there. Page 1651, and uh, you'll already be surprised how familiar you are with the Bible. Um, Watch, pop quiz. Luke was written by a guy named, anyone? Luke. And uh, and even some of you, the advanced placement guys, know that Luke actually, by trade, was a doctor. Yeah, he was a medical doctor by trade, which means one thing. The guy knew a thing or two about how babies were made. (laughs) All right, this isn't like some ancient text by like some hillbilly who's like, I think it happened this way. This is a medical man. <laughs> and Luke recorded this account to establish the, the detailed and historical accuracy of the virgin birth. You, you, by the way, you do know this is about a, a birth, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming everyone here is like familiar with the basic story, yes? Okay, I won't like be spoiling the movie for anyone, right? <laughs> it's a boy, you know, it's like, okay. All right, sorry, blew it, all right. Luke 1, verse 26, under the heading, The Birth of Jesus Foretold. In the sixth month, you know what, let's just stop here. Stop here. Before you look at it, I want to show you something. Everyone see this over here? Does everyone know what this is called? What's it called? A nativity, right? Or a creche, which the word nativity actually means birth. This is actually our nativity at home. Well, I should say it's my little girl's nativity that she made us buy. And uh, any of you have a nativity at home or on your lawn, maybe? You have a nice big inflatable plastic one, like <laughs> Elmo's, you know, there, like in a shepherd's outfit. Um, my little girl put this up in our house over the weekend, and I kind of like this one. You know, you've seen ones that are, like, you know, pretty pious or plastic, but, but like, Mary's, like, you know, a sweet-faced statue and the baby. <laughs> you ever see babies in nativity? You kind of, you know, the baby Jesus is so, like, normal babies, you know. Hands outstretched, you know, just this, you know, peaceful look on his face, like, like most infants, you know, just like, and, uh, and, 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 he always, and, and Jesus always has his dinner plate around his head, you know, like, I always thought that was strange as a kid, you know, like he has his halo, but, but I, we like this nativity set. My wife and I bought it for one reason. It's simple. These are, these are wood carved figurines and you'll notice they lack faces. Do you see it? No face on it. They're just kind of a simple tableau. You see the, the creche, which is actually carved out of the wood of a barn. You see the shepherds kind of milling about. And those three taller-looking uh, silhouettes, they're kneeling and bowing in adoration. Very simple jars they're offering the, the wise men. And in the set itself, you see mom and dad, Mary, the teen mom, cradling something or someone in her arms. You can't even quite see in this one, the, the wrapped infant. And this guy with the tall pole kind of peering down on his wife and child. But what I love is this. Joseph and Mary, the, man, the main players in the event, they don't have faces. You notice the way that the artists carved them? They're blank. 
That's like not a mistake. That was intentional. It wasn't like, oh, so you got a discount? You know, they left the faces up. No. <laughs> you know, like, eh, half price. No. This was an artistic choice. And I like it because when I read the scriptural accounts of the birth of Jesus, we're never told what the people looked like. We're never told much about their external characteristics. But we are told much about their inner character, about who they were as a people, just ordinary people like you and me. And it leaves us wondering why in the world God would choose to bring his son into this world to offer salvation to all men through ordinary, plain-faced young people like Mary and Joseph. Mary, in fact, let's just start there. What What do you even know about Mary? Other than that, she too appears on many a New Jersey lawn. Anyone know how old Mary most likely was at the time of Jesus' birth? Most likely between 13 and 15 years old. Just a kid. A teen or or a preteen. And to find herself pregnant in first century culture without a husband would have been, well, actually quite modern. (laughs) That's what I'd like to call this opening message tonight. Thoroughly modern Mary. Because although we're separated from this young Jewish girl by like 2,000 years, her situation, her life, and God's interest actually in them have many parallels to our life in the 21st century and tells us a lot about the kind of people God uses. I mean, Mary is perhaps the most familiar of all the main players. She's been venerated by many over the years, and I think we tend to see her in one of two ways, kind of iconically, right? The Holy Mother, right? The Holy Mother. You see the medieval paintings up there, one by, uh, by Leonardo, actually, and icons, kind of, or just kind of idealized Mary, like the sweet-faced girl and you know, the blue bathrobe, just kind of virginal and sweet. But you know what? The biblical Mary that you're going to see here in a moment in Luke is neither idealized nor an icon. In fact, I'd argue that God chose her specifically for her insignificance. Let me show you what I mean. Now let's read together. Luke 1, verse 26 through 38. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who is said to be barren, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left here. I mean, of all people, why Mary? (laughs) Why did the creator of the universe, he scans his creation, and he peers down and selects this seemingly insignificant teenage girl. I mean, when the angel Gabriel first appears to her, he actually says, you are highly favored. That's an important word, favored. You'll learn what that means in a minute. But he said, you found favor with God. Why? 
I mean, in many ways, Mary was just about the last person on earth you'd think God would choose to bring his son into the world through. I want you to consider the strikes against her. I mean, you know, I already told you, Mary was young. This will offend our modern sensibilities, but Jewish girls in the first century were normally engaged between 12 and 14 years old. They didn't have much say in the matter. Most marriages were typically arranged by their parents. But yet, in spite of her youth and inexperience in life, God reaches down into middle school to tap the shoulder of a teenager to begin his plan of redemption. What? Strike two, she was a girl. (laughs) And as a female in the ancient Middle East, Mary would have been uneducated and subject to a male-dominated culture. She lived in a patriarchal world. As I said, a husband would have been chosen for her. In strike three, incredibly poor. The text tells us, it says, Mary was from Nazareth, a town in Galilee, and that is a northern part of the ancient land of Palestine. That's a place you actually see appearing in news accounts a lot of times today on CNN. It was an out-of-the-way place where the villagers made a meager subsistence by farming. Now, based on their findings in the areas, check this out. Archaeologists estimate the population of Nazareth was likely only several hundred inhabitants. Talk about small town. Luke is like, just a small town girl. There's my journey moment. In many ways, Nazareth would have been like a third world country. It was an occupied territory, actually. Palestine was controlled by Rome, and Nazareth was considered this like backwater outpost of the vast and mighty Roman Empire. And that meant Mary, along with the entire Jewish population in the area, was oppressed. I guess that's strike four. The presence of Roman soldiers in Israel, it actually gave Jews military peace, but it had a high price tag. Oppression, slavery, and injustice marked their everyday life. You go see the movie, you'll see this. See, Rome exacted a tribute, what we call taxes. It always goes back to taxes, <laughs> to Caesar. I mean, normal Orthodox Jews gave 10% of whatever they had, their meager subsistence, to support the temple in Jerusalem. And Rome said, and Cain said, give more now to Caesar. And it basically crippled these simple farm people. You'll see this in the movie if you go watch it. The Romans actually kind of repossessed Mary's father's mule. <laughs> but it was serious hardship. And during Mary's lifetime, she and Joseph and the rest of their families often lived literally hand to mouth. So in sum, Mary, young, poor, female, oppressed. All characteristics that to the people of her day, and probably ours, would make her seem unusable by God for any major task. Question. You ever feel insignificant in the world's eyes? (laughs) Like you've got some strikes against you? (laughs) I mean, even Mary most likely had questions, had doubts and fears about God's selection of her. Luke says that when the angel first appears to Mary, she's, quote, greatly troubled. Look at that in verse 29. And he, and he literally had to reassure her. He's like, no, 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 don't, 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 don't run away. Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. But why? why? Why me? Check out this clip of brief dialogue between Mary and her cousin Elizabeth to capture the inner heart of this. Are you afraid? Yes. My husband has been chosen for me. The law says I was to remain pure for a year. How is he to believe this? Stay with us then. We will pray for guidance. Elizabeth. Why is it me God has asked? I am nothing. Oh, child. Why is it me, God has asked? I am nothing. 
I am insignificant in every aspect that the world deems significant, yes. And perhaps that's exactly why God chose her to help launch his global plan of salvation. For although the world saw her as insignificant, God said, actually, no, there's something about Mary. (laughs) (laughs) There is a beauty here, and it's not exterior or circumstantial. I want you to think of most, you know, young female uh, celebrities nowadays, right? Jessica, Beyonce, Paris. Most of them are renowned for their beauty, their ability, or their wealth. Not Mary. She was poor, Unknown outside of her hometown, and scripture says there was actually nothing about her her appearance. Yet, there's something about Mary that captured God's attention and affection, and we are given a hint of it in Gabriel's greeting. Look at this in verse 28. Would you look at the way the message renders this? I love this. Right hand column. It says, good morning. (laughs) You're beautiful with God's beauty. Beautiful inside and out. God be with you. Yeah, and you see what it's hinting at here. Mary had this, this inner beauty of character that impressed even God. And that inner beauty, which you're going to see reflected in her humble response, was of great significance in God's eyes. Because if you're just joining us, the one thing you need to know about God is that we all are kind of posers here. We're very superficial. Man looks on the outward appearance, but our God looks at the heart. Now, I want you to stop here and don't you dare glaze over because you're like, oh, yeah, I know this thing, right? Young, small-town girl. You heard the journey song, I know. Um, I want you to pretend Put yourself in Mary's shoes for just a moment. Or pretend you're her friend, your best friend. Or you're her mom or you're her dad. Let's, let's put this in modern terms. What would happen if you went home tonight, snapped on, you know, Channel 12 News, fine, and, 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 and a 14-year-old girl from, from let's say, um, Bridgewater. Let's make it Bridgewater. Now, let's make it really obscure, like, like Neptune, New Jersey. Down the shore, okay? Down the shore. What would happen if you watched the news and it said, uh, this just in, a 14-year-old girl from rural Neptune, New Jersey, living on a farm in a trailer, makes an amazing claim. Uh, The unmarried teen says she is pregnant with a child from God, uh, though she claims not to be sexually active. (laughs) Uh, The youngster is scheduled to give birth later this year. On to sports. Now, imagine if you heard that. Local news. And other reporters, though, from like CBS and NBC, picked pick that up and they're like, what? And they followed this story with breathless accounts of this teen girl, and they drive down to Neptune to interview this 14-year-old virgin, and they descend on her trailer, and in the interview, she's like, well, it's true. And they're like, how can you prove it? How do you know? And she says, she says actually, well, 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 an angel told me. Really. What happens in our culture to a teenager from the wrong side of the tracks who hears voices and claims to be pregnant with a child that's not her own doing. One, she appears on Jerry Springer. <laughs> Two, <laughs> actually in Mary's day it was less dubious and much more dangerous. See, a young unmarried girl who became pregnant risked disaster, because unless the father of the child agreed to marry her, she probably would be unmarried for life, and if her own father rejected her, she could be forced into begging or prostitution in order to earn a living. And Mary, with her story about being made pregnant by the Holy Spirit, risked considered being crazy as well. I want you to imagine her uncertainty. Like, did that even happen? Like, am I hearing things? Was I dreaming last night? I want you to imagine her fear. What what will they do to me when when I tell them? What will they think? See, engagement in the ancient Israel was a, was a serious thing. It was like actually being married. You called them your husband or your wife. You just were not allowed to have sexual relations for a year, and then you were married. And that engagement could be broken off for one of two reasons, death or adultery. The penalty for which was, anyone? Stoning. 
I want you to imagine that scene when Mary had to go tell her parents and her fiancé. An angel told you this, that you would bear the Son of God. Mary. Elizabeth had a baby, even in her old age. Elizabeth has a husband! Women have been put to death for this. They could stone you in the street. Do you understand? You should have stayed with Elizabeth. Father. Father. I've broken no vow. Oh, you have broken every vow, Mary. Was it one of her soldiers? Was it? I have told the truth. Whether you believe is your choice, not mine. I have broken no vow. I have told the truth. In that speculated reply to her parents, you get a glimpse of the inner metal of Mary and realize, you know what, this is actually no ordinary middle school teen who found herself knocked up and now was searching for excuses. I was reading one commentator in my research who noted that had the same circumstances existed in our 21st century America, it's unlikely that Jesus would even have been born. I mean, what do you do with a pregnancy that no one wants? In a young girl, that appears like it's actually just going to bring shame and embarrassment and just totally wreck her life. Well, I mean, today, you, you terminate it. It's just a procedure. It's an, it's an easy choice. But Mary doesn't take an out. And she actually doesn't question God's plan behind this, this bend in the road. Her response, in, in my book, is nothing short of incredible. And the words reveal a spiritual maturity that belies her youthful age. Look at verse 38. Simple but profound. Nine words. May it be to me as you have said. I I am the Lord's servant. And you realize God chose Mary not in spite of her insignificance, but likely because of it. Because with seeming insignificance comes something else. Submission. A spirit of humility and obedience, which is of huge worth in God's eyes, folks. Yet God chose Mary in spite of this insignificance for one of the most important acts of obedience he's actually ever asked of anyone. And today the message is clear to us. You may come in here tonight feeling that your ability, your experience, where you are in life, your education makes you actually an unlikely candidate for God's service. But you know what? That's not what God looks at. He has a simple question. He says, are you available for me to use? Because I'm actually in the business of making much out of seemingly insignificant lives personally. What, what, what are the strikes against you? I mean, you saw Mary's kind of hit list there, right? What's, what are your, what's your soft spot? What, what I mean is, what's the quality in your life that in your mind gives you the most doubt that God could ever use your life for his purposes? I mean, maybe you are a kid. Maybe you actually are a teenager. You're here tonight and you're like, dude, nobody, nobody believe me, believe me, you haven't met my parents. <laughs> or you're in your 20s or, and you're like, I haven't even graduated college. Or you're just out and you're like, I don't know what to do. No one actually pays attention to me. I have no experience. Consider Mary. The Bible is filled with the heroes of the faith who made a big difference for God at an early age. And Daniel, who, who was, he was perhaps only 16, 
when he and his companions were taken into captivity. Yet despite their youth, they had such a deep confidence in God, they were willing to face death rather than worship false gods. Or maybe you're here tonight and you're like, actually, it's not a young thing. I, I'm kind of over the hill. <laughs> I'm too old. I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to be in this church because I see like all these young people. <laughs> and most of my life is in the rear view. <laughs> I have more yesterdays than tomorrows. Consider Elizabeth, <laughs> Mary's cousin, who scripture tells us was actually way past the age of childbearing. And God chooses her to give birth to John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner preparing the way for Jesus. Or maybe you're a young mom with kids, and I mean, talk about feeling, you know, feeling insignificant sometimes. Like, you know, I'm just a homemaker. I'm not on the front lines. I, I, make, I make meals and wipe snots, all right? And then I collapse exhausted at night, only to wake it up and just do the same thing next day. God can't use someone like me. I'm not significant. Oh, really? You don't think God has a soft spot for young moms with a toddler? Pay attention. Do not limit God's choices, because God does not involve people in his plans because of what they can do for him. Rather, he searches this earth for humble people with a submissive spirit so he can enter their lives and do something extraordinary in them. And whether you're old or young or male or female, rich or poor is irrelevant. God can use you, and he wants to use you if you trust him. It's a question. Are you, are you willing to be available to God? I mean, like Mary was. All of the objections in the face of many fears in spite of all her doubts, may it be to me as you have said. I've been given a role to play in God's story. I don't know why he chose me, but here I am. Use me. That's an incredible attitude, folks. And that's how the kingdom of God comes in this world. Because if you're like Mary, and you are trusting in the God of the Bible, then you actually have inherited her mantle. See, the Bible says that when we put our trust actually in Jesus, in his birth, his virgin birth, in his crucifixion, on the cross, and then his resurrection from the grave. Scripture tells us that we are actually adopted into God's family. And when that happens, or our seemingly insignificant lives gain epic significance. Because God determines to use each of his children, not in spite of their modest circumstances, but through them. I'll give an example of this. My friend Susie. Uh, we've got a friend Susie here. She's a single mom. She's got uh, four or five kids of her own. She helps out around our office on, on special projects at times. Um, but recently she's had some problems where she's like, I, I can't come in because I also help care for an, eight, for an elderly woman who's my neighbor. She's 80-something years old. And recently the woman's health has been in decline, and Susie's been frustrated, and she wrote me this note. It's, it's amazing. She said, hey, Tim, I, I'm not sure what's going on. Um, each time I step out to help at Liquid, it seems that something major happens, and I get pulled away from being able to help. Things have finally settled down with Eileen, um, but I found out yesterday that she's now suffering from kidney failure. She will be going into surgery next Thursday to see if they can prevent any more damage from occurring, and she needs my full attention for at least two more weeks. The worst part is that she's losing hope. She said, I just wish I could die quickly and not have to go through another surgery. So all I did was just stayed with her, and I cried with her, and I prayed God's peace over her spirit. I hope you know that my heart wants to help at Liquid more than I'm able. And I'm beginning to wonder if these are signs that God doesn't want me helping anymore, if the enemy is just trying harder to keep me from being useful in God's kingdom Should I just be patient and push through these awkward times? God's will is so confusing at times. It breaks my heart to see that so much needs to be done at Liquid, and I'm forced into being a bench warmer. I want to be in the game, but it's not my time. The coach has different plans for me, and they remain a mystery. And I replied to her with the cap locks on, are you kidding me? Like, Susie, 
You are God's anointed, his chosen instrument to be with that woman through this painful journey at the end of her life. Only one person could show the kind of care and compassion that you are capable of during this season. And God has chosen you to do it. Are you kidding me? You, you, you think it's about helping at church? God has chosen you to be a minister of grace to this woman in her last days. Serve. Serve well, my sister. God bless you. How can we pray? She emailed me back, and she's like, Eileen's home from the hospital, but very weak. And she's like, it's a day-by-day struggle. And she said, she knows how much I love to write. Susie's very creative, so she likes helping a lot around the office. She's like, she asked me to write her obituary. And I cried, and I said, I'd be pleased to do it, but not today. She asked me to speak at her memorial service. It's so hard to watch a beautiful flower wither and lose its petals. But she said she's ready to go, and she seems to be very peaceful. Tim, I have confidence that she's saved, and I'll see her again in heaven. The seeds of kindness generosity and love that she leaves behind will be what I speak about at her memorial. I missed the gas outreach, but heard through Jenny. It went well. Hope all's progressing well. Launch. See you all on Sunday. And I, and I was like, you know, so poetically put, a flower losing its petals. But I was like, Susie, I can't think of a better gardener to be there for her passing than you, sister. You are like God's appointed caretaker in this difficult transition. And, and I realized my friend Susie has one of those may it be to me, as you have said, kind of attitudes. Because it's about serving and making God's spirit of kindness, compassion, and care known right in her sphere of influence. Single mom, multiple kids. And and, and though Susie's position might be modest in worldly terms, she doesn't lead a rich, glamorous life. God uses her greatly. And that's how I know God has chosen her for a great purpose. Because like Mary, she continues the legacy of birthing the kingdom of God into this world through her service to Eileen. So at this Christmas, what if this Christmas were more than just buying stuff, where are the discounts, but asking, how could God use me right where I am this Christmas season? Do you see it? Are you awake to this? Faith is not about significance. It is about a submissive spirit and saying, here I am. I'm your servant, may it be to me. Mary had that kind of faith. And she believed God would use her seeming insignificant life for his larger purposes. When she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, Elizabeth kind of prophetically celebrates her for this. She said, blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And I read that and I was like, what could give a teenage girl that much confidence? When she's a young girl after all. And that confidence came from somewhere. And it wasn't just like an inner conviction that like, well, I think I have what it takes. Remember, (laughs) Mary's spirit is the essence of humility. I think we find a hint as to the source of Mary's confidence in the original words of the angel Gabriel spoke to her. Look at verse 28, would you? So the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly, let's all say the word together, favored. The Lord is with you. You might underline those words, highly favored, Because that word favor comes from the root word for grace. And grace means simply a gift. Something that's been given to you as an expression of love. Not because you asked for it or it was on your list. (laughs) Or not because you deserve it and someone's trying to reward you. But simply because somebody loves you. In other words, the angel is saying, Greetings, you who are highly graced. 
You who are highly gifted. In other words, Mary was not being rewarded for something she'd done, but being selected by God for a special gift, a blessing. And Gabriel goes on to explain that her supernatural pregnancy was the gift or the grace that God was about to give her. And here's where it twists, folks. Because so it is with each of us, with you. When you're offered a gift, you can do one of two things. Accept or decline. Mary could either accept the gift that Jesus was about to be born into her life or actually say, no, 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 thanks. I don't think I need him. I don't really want him. Or, or maybe, no, I'm not worthy of, of it. And each of us can say the same thing. I don't need Jesus in my life. <laughs> or we can accept him as a gift or grace. Like Mary, each of us is invited to confess that, you know what, apart from God, um, our lives are not worth very much. But we don't have to self-flagellate about that because the good news is that now that Jesus Christ has entered the world, God in the flesh, that's what Jesus is, God has come near, and we, and we invite Jesus into our modest lives. Suddenly, they take on eternal significance. That's what literally happened with Mary, and it can actually happen with you. I want you to turn to Ephesians 2. This is the biggest chapter in the Bible on grace. And the Apostle Paul talks about grace, or this gift of God in sending Jesus in the second chapter of Ephesians. Read the message version. This is amazing. I love this because this really just captures it. Paul writes, It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old, stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with, un- with polluted unbelief, and then you exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did this all on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. I'm on verse 7. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace, gifts, and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't actually play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does the good work that he has gotten ready for us to do, the work we had better be doing. This is, folks, this is the Bible's most powerful description of grace, Ephesians 2, of God's gift or his kindness to this world. That although by birth each of us actually leads not just an insignificant life, but a dead-end life, sin, God, ignorance, no thank you. In sending Jesus to the world, God broke through time and space to grace us, to gift us immense in mercy, with an incredible love. God, it says, embraced us. Remember Gabriel's greeting? The Lord is with you. And that may be news to you tonight, that God is with you. He is for you. He is not against you. He is not looking for ways to punish you. He actually wants to embrace and love you. He is not angry. It is not the way some people have distorted him to be. 
And in Jesus, he took our sin-dead lives and says, made us alive in Christ, which simply means we can actually renounce our selfish tendencies and invite Jesus to be born into our heart, into our life, believing that actually it's his birth and his death and his resurrection is a gift, a grace to me, that though I'm insignificant, I am highly favored. (laughs) I am highly graced. That's what salvation is, folks. It's a free gift. The invitation God makes to anyone's life that no matter what they've done, no matter how they've blown it, grace. Forgiveness, restoration, saving is all God's idea. It is his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. That's what Mary did. She didn't earn it. She didn't ask for it. We don't play the major role. That's what makes it a gift. And a gift can only be received or declined. It can't be ordered or it can't be earned. So a question for you. Great question to start the holiday season. <laughs> the Christ Mass. Have you received that gift? Have you actually opened up that gift? Have you personally invited Christ into your life the way Mary said, may it be so. May Jesus be born into my life, into my heart. May it be with me. I will accept this high favor. Have you actually said that? Like, I mean, it's very simple. I believe, Jesus, that you are God that you were born of a virgin, fully man, fully divine, and I need you. I want you in my life. Be my God. That's it. That's literally how simple it is to be adopted into God's family. It's all his idea of salvation. If you haven't done that, I mean, you can, you can, you can literally, you could pray that tonight. I can think of no better time to begin that relationship than Christmas. I, I am not an angel. This is not news to you. But tonight, I am God's messenger to you. And the words which God extended to Mary 2,000 years ago in a backwater town in Israel are the same words he speaks to you tonight in 2006. Greetings. You, in the back, who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You You may be at a crisis point in your life. I don't know how you walked in here tonight, what your story is. Maybe you're even in a a situation similar to Mary's. But God is with you. And in sending Jesus, he has sent his very best gift to you so that you need never be alone again. You have been blessed and God can be with you always. You simply need to receive the gift of Jesus in your life. In fact, let's just bow our heads. You can pray. You can pray. If you want to do that, You talk to God. You talk with God. You simply say, God, I need you. I believe you sent Jesus, who is your son. And I want him in my life. Be born in my life. Be my God. That's how you start a relationship. You receive something, and then you begin the reciprocation back and forth. Many of you um, have received that gift before, and that's wonderful. That is amazing. Because once you accept Jesus into your life through faith, like Mary did, things now do change. Because your life begins charged with a significance you didn't know it had, and suddenly you are God's chosen, his highly 
favored or a graced or a gifted one. But here's the twist. I was talking with somebody in the foyer, a new friend who's like, I accepted Christ a few weeks ago, but I think my life's going to get turned upside down. I was like, yes, seatbelt time. <laughs> because here's a trick, folks. If you've been saved for a while, catch this. You have been blessed, not as an end in itself, but so that your life, you can now pass along God's blessing to other people in this world, like Mary did, like my friend Susie is doing. Your life has been created and saved for a purpose. Paul ends Ephesians 2, the passage on grace, with this verse. He says, God creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. In other words, by receiving Jesus, come into my life, Jesus, be born in my life, you are now partners with your Father God in his grand plan to save and serve this dying world. And that's what begins charging your life with incredible purpose, no matter what your age is, your education, your present circumstance. When Jesus is in your life, God says, now I'm going to use you to serve others in my name and to display my goodness to the world through your life. Do you believe that? Mary did. May it be to me as you have said, was her reply. And it doesn't mean that life will now be easy, but this, it will have purpose. You have to understand something. Receiving Jesus into your life and pledging to serve and follow him comes along with a steep price tag. Um, God's blessing on Mary led to, uh, what I should say, some, probably some pain and some hardship in her life. <laughs> Mary's story after that can't say that's all an upswing. <laughs> when she accepted this news, her peers ridiculed her. Her friends and neighbors likely questioned her integrity. Her fiancé actually would come close to leaving her. And the son that she would eventually bring into this world would ultimately be um, rejected and murdered. But she accepted God's plan anyway and simply said, I trust. I trust you, God. You are good. May it be to me as you said. And that's no small feat for a teenage girl facing such pressure. I want you to take a look at this final clip illustrating the essence of true faith. Joseph. Do you know? Do you know the reason I chose you? Mary? I believed you were a woman of great virtue. I have lived my life seeking honor. So how am I to answer this? If I claim this child is mine, I will be lying. I will have broken a law laid down by God. I would never ask you to lie. If I say this child is not mine, they will ask what I want to do. And if I accuse you, There is a will for this child, greater than my fear of what they may do. Talk about faith. There is a will for this child, 
greater than my fear of what they may do. Maybe that's why God chose someone Mary's age. Because sometimes it takes the faith of a child to truly take God at his word. They say Christmas brings out the kid in all of us. <laughs> and my question to you is, will you let it bring out childlike faith as well? Faith that Jesus is who he said he was. God in the flesh, born of a virgin, crucified on a cross, and sent as a gift for you. If you have embraced that historical truth, have you let it impact your present reality? In other words, have you invited God to begin now working through your life to serve and bless others, extend his care and compassion in this world? Because the gift is free, but to pass it on is actually costly. That's the message, second message of Mary's life. Because Mary's acceptance of God's mission caused hardship and discomfort. You know, nine months later in Bethlehem, she would give birth, not in a hospital, but in a cave. That's what stables were carved out of, actually, not wood, but rock, a cave. Later on, the angel would instruct her and Joseph to flee to Egypt to escape King Herod's murderous rampage, and she actually became a refugee. So catch this. After accepting God's gift of Jesus into her life, after being blessed, it actually got more difficult. What's up with that? Point. When we do God's will, you aren't guaranteed a comfortable, safe life. But you're promised that everything, even your momentary discomfort, has epic meaning in God's redemptive plan. That's what redemption is about. And that's the source of courage and faith as we live each day in service to Christ. So could you let that Christmas truth penetrate your heart tonight that there's actually a will for your life that is greater than any fear or doubts that you walked in here with? Wherever you are, whatever your circumstances, God has come near, as near as this room, and he invites you to receive his gift afresh and serve Jesus with your life. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, he'll be with you by simply asking. I want us to stand and pray together. Can we do that? Lord, my sense is that there are people here tonight um, who maybe came, Lord, not knowing what to expect. And because of where they are in their life, the idea that a God who loves them, who accepts them, is for them, and wants to be their constant companion through life is almost unbelievable. Lord, it does touch our, um, our heart and we want to respond to you, Lord, in worship. Lord, there's reason for great joy. We're not alone in this world. Our lives aren't insignificant, but they're linked to your life through Jesus Christ. So I ask you, send your Holy Spirit, Lord, even now as we worship, and to every man and woman, fill us this season, the next three weeks, Lord, so that we could actually be your hands and feet and usher Christ into this world in our sphere of influence to make this a Christmas worth remembering. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for these people who you love. We worship you now in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, 